You know, love is such an amazing thing that most of our popular music is written about love. Love lost, love found, love stolen, love abused, love. In fact, when I was in high school, there was a song about what could fix the world if the world would just love. The problem we face is that love has been so perverted that today, when people talk about love, they don't know what love is. They don't understand it. And so they're looking for something that they really don't know what it is. As we come to our text today, John has completed all of his new information. So if, as we study John, if you begin saying, didn't we cover this, you're exactly right. And as a, as a good teacher would, John now begins by rehearsing some things for them. John rehearses because it's so important. You see, to be a witness, an accurate witness of God, we often focus on doctrine, on being able to say the right words, of feeling this really uncomfortableness of, I don't know, I'm just not really good at witnessing because I, I don't know if I say the right things. You know, some people are just really good at saying all the right things and wow, if I could just say it the right way, I could convince people. And what we've totally missed is that Jesus said, God is love. Now, we hear that said, but you need to keep it in the context of what John is saying. You see, John now is going to summarize in our text today, and he's going to give us something new to think about. The first thing that he wanted us to know in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 was, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We need light to be able to know what the path should be. But the thing that has really stood out to me as we memorized 1 John 1, and then as we've thought about 1 John 1, in him is no darkness. There's no darkness in God. Now, let's think about that for a moment practically. What that means is there is not a mean bone in God's body. There is not a harsh bone in God's body. There is not anything in God that is at, at all selfish. Now, we say we know that, but then we begin looking at things and we say, boy, if I don't do this, God's going to hammer me. God's going to be angry with me because I didn't do what God wanted me to do. And we've missed the whole point. God is light. In God is no darkness at all. Now you have to let that settle in because, you see, that's going to impact the way we witness. That's going to impact the way we approach the world. And interestingly, that is how Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. And John begins by saying, you know, in chapter 2 he says, now I'm going to give something to you that is not a new commandment. 
It's a commandment you've had from the very beginning. From the very beginning of Jesus' teaching, Jesus has been teaching that God is love. Now, usually where people get confused is then they say, well, then I can live any way that I want. No, we've also forgotten that God is holy. And because God is holy, he can't tolerate sin. But we need to remember sin's not a good thing. Sin's a bad thing. We don't want things to happen to our loved ones. So we don't encourage sin. You know, we don't say, hey, do something that's going to hurt you. You know, I would never encourage my children to ever get drunk. I would never encourage my children to drink because if they drink, they might get drunk. And if they get drunk, they're going to get hurt. So as a dad, I don't say, here, try some. Why? That wouldn't be loving, would it? In the same way, when God says, don't do these things, it's not because God's a mean, harsh God. God is a loving God. And therefore, he says, don't do this because this will hurt you. You see the difference? The difference is how God views things. He's loving and he's holy, and those are not inconsistent with each other. Those are mutually uh, tied together. And God is righteous, and that's a wonderful thing. That's not a scary thing. God's righteousness is a wonderful thing because Jesus died on the cross for us. God will never come back and try to do double jeopardy on you. Jesus died for all of your sins. And when he died for all of our sins, and when we accept that, we exchanged places. Jesus took all of our punishment and we took all of Christ's righteousness. And God will never come back and go, you know, I promised you that, but you've really been a rascal. Therefore, forget it. You're out. Because God is just. Do you see how justice is a wonderful thing? It's not a scary thing. We have so had these terms turned around on us that we've tried to become terrified of God rather than running to God. When we see God for who he is, it ought to make us run to him. Well, we've learned that God is light. But in our text today, John says, God is love. God is the, the totality of love. It is God's nature. It's not just that God loves. God is love. you know God cannot not love? God cannot not love. It's not that God can look at us and go, mm, that one's just too bad. I cannot love that person. God is love. It's his very nature. John rehearses this because it's so important. You see, to be a witness, to be an accurate witness, Christians must love. As people see God's children, they get to know the Father. I was at a wedding this weekend, and the Father and the Son look so much alike. Now, I knew the grandpa, and I knew the father, the father was a few years younger than me. We grew up together. I knew them when I was in junior high. And now his son was getting married. 
And when I came in, in fact, I met the son about a year ago when he came to town. And I immediately knew who he was, and I knew his father. In fact, I knew what his father had become by talking to the son. You see, the world knows the father by what they see in us. Therefore, we read in our text this morning, beloved, let us love one another. You see, as we see God's Son, we get to know the Father. Christians love and can love because they have been given God's nature. Remember chapter 3, verse 1? God did something incredible. When we became His Son, He literally put a part of Him in us. Therefore, though you cannot command a natural love, you can command a Christian love. Because God has put that in us. You see, don't look at Satan's works and think you know the Father. Don't look at Satan's works and think you can know the Father. Satan is a deceiver. God shows his love through his children. So John revisits the importance of love. First of all, I want you to notice in verses 7 and 8, Christians... Imitate Christ's demonstrated love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Love for one another. Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have correct doctrine. You say, that's not what it says. He says, if you have loved one for another. The struggle that we often have, and it's, it's keeping the pendulum in the middle. It's staying in the middle of the road. Doctrine is incredibly important. You're going to hear me talk about doctrine this morning. You've heard me talk about doctrine for over a year, and I keep talking about the importance of doctrine. Doctrine is your foundation. Doctrine is the thing that keeps you solid. Doctrine is the thing that keeps you from tipping over or from things giving way underneath you because you have to know the truth. But interestingly enough, it's not that you have solid doctrine that tells you that you are one of Christ's children. It is that you have love for God's people. And sadly, we have seen churches fracture. We've seen churches all over who are unkind to other churches who don't look exactly the same. They don't, they just aren't quite the same, but they are solid on salvation. They know Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and they have placed their faith in him alone. And they follow the scriptures, though they interpret them differently than what we do. And I would say, they've missed it. They're wrong. They're still Christians. 
And what's happened is, in trying to protect people, we've become critical, and the world looks at us and says, can't you guys get along? And Jesus said, by this will all men know that ye love one another. Do you see why this is so important? Doctrine is so important, but love is what the world sees. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, these things I command you, that ye love one another. So what's he talking about? He's talking about love for believers. Love is the ultimate test of your profession. That's not what we often hear. It's possible to agree with doctrine and yet not possess the grace of Christ and the love of God. What is love? Well, we're talking about love for fellow believers. Loving believers even when they disappoint us and do wrong things. Think about this for a moment. What should be our response when a believer is in a sin trap? They're involved in something they should not be involved in. How should we respond? Love. But real love cares enough about the individual to deal with whatever the problem is, but not because you're angry and upset with them. I wish I could say every time my children did wrong, I always corrected them in love because I was concerned that what they did would hurt them. I failed. There were times I was just angry. They jerked my chain and I was gonna jerk theirs and they were gonna find out real quickly that I was in charge. And you know what? I might have changed their behavior for that moment, but I totally missed the opportunity of teaching them what real love was. Then there were other times that with a broken heart, I would stop them from what they were doing. And I would tell them this was going to hurt them. And therefore, because I love them, I correct them. You see, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. You notice chastening is never separated from love. And sadly, most of us Probably not all of us, but many of us have grown up in home situations where what was modeled was angry parents that didn't demonstrate love. They just demonstrated they had a bigger stick. And so now we're following through with that in our homes. We follow through with this. But the reality is when you love someone, you care enough to say, don't keep doing that. And you'll do what you have to do, but motivated out of love. And you stop as soon as you see they have changed their direction. You know, there are times that I didn't spank my kids. I spoke to them, and when I saw they had responded the right way, then we talked about mercy. You see, Christians imitate Christ's demonstrated 
love. When someone is caught in a sin trap, there ought to be sympathy. There ought to be understanding. There ought to be care. People need to know that though they may not be lovely, they are loved. It doesn't mean that I love their problem. It doesn't mean that I am excited for them when they're in the middle of something that's wrong. Some of the hardest conversations I've had are with people that I love that are doing things that are hurting them. And the one thing I always want them to know is, I love you. That's the only reason why we're having this conversation. You know, I've told you before, I'll go through grocery stores, and there are kids that are doing all kinds of things that it's just flat wrong. It's sin. And I don't correct a one of them. Why? Not my kids. Not my family. I have no, I have no relationship with them. But with my children, with my grandchildren, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to keep them from getting hurt with my church family, I'm going to do whatever I can to keep you from getting hurt, but it's not because I'm angry with you. I do wrong things all the time. I don't like it. So when I look at you, and you're caught in a sin trap, I'm not angry at you. That's church love. That's a church relationship. You see, I can do lots of cool things and you can do lots of cool things and God says none of those are really going to matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, can you imagine the ability to speak multiple languages just with no effort? Some of you maybe can imagine that. I have a hard time with English. And my Spanish is horrible, even though I took multiple years of Spanish. And anything else that I can do is only because I'm parroting what I've heard and I cannot speak it intelligibly. But here he said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, have not love, it profits me nothing. And though I have all faith, just the confidence that God's going to do what he said he would do. And he said, you know, if you just had the faith of a little, the size of a mustard seed, you could take trees and throw them into the ocean. He said, what if you had mountain-moving faith? Though I have the faith so that I could move mountains. And I have not love. What would I accomplish? Do you see how everything is built on this motivation. Love. Love impacts the way, you know, I have to stop and think about how will I treat this person? How will I respond to this person? How will I respond to this person who doesn't respond to me in a loving way? What's the reason for love? Second part of verse 7. For love is of God. Because we have God's nature in us, certain things must be true of us.
How often have Christians become ugly to the world because of the sinful speech we have toward other believers? Love is of God. Love flows from God. The more I know about God, look with me, verse 7 and beginning of verse 8, the more I know about God, the more I love. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, let's look at God's love. Let's look at Christ's love demonstrated in verse, God's love demonstrated in verses 9 and 10. And there we read, In this was manifested the love of God toward us. The word manifested is the demonstration. The way God demonstrated his love for us. How, what are characteristics of Christ's love? Well, one, it is demonstrated. And two, we're going to see it is sacrificial. And three, we're going to see that it is altruistic. First of all, let's look at Christ's love. Demonstrated. All right, how did he demonstrate his love for us. He says, God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Notice he demonstrated, he had to act on this. There was no way you could know God's love unless God reached out. You can't just walk out in nature. I remember so many of my neighbors back in Indianapolis, and, and I would invite them to church, and they'd say, well, you know, I just go out in the woods and I worship God. I go out in nature and I just worship God. The, the problem is we see creation. You know, the scriptures tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. No matter where you go, you see God's fingerprints everywhere. But you can only know there is an awesome, almighty God. You cannot know anything about that God without his special revelation, which is the Bible. How did God do this for us? He sent his son, the living word, so that we could know him. God demonstrated his love. I want you to notice the love was not only a demonstrated love, it was a sacrificial love. God sent his son into the world. Let me pause for just a moment on sent his son. If God sent his son into the world, what do you know about the son? He existed before he came, right? I was born here. I wasn't sent here, right? I wasn't a spirit child somewhere out. No, I was born here. Christ was sent here. Christ is eternal. He has always been. It speaks of his preexistence. It speaks of his incarnation. It's, it's well worth pausing. See these little doctrinal things that John, John presents it in a practical way for you, but you need to understand that about Jesus Christ. I want you to also notice that God demonstrated his love because he sent his only begotten son into the world. What I want you to notice is he was sent to a place that wasn't his home. 
He was sent into the world. What do we know about the world? Let's go back and look at a text that we studied together in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. What do we know about the people in the world? Ephesians chapter 2. Who did he reach out to? And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We often immediately, when we think of dead, we just think of unresponsive. But the reality of death is no relationship. Separated. You know, when people die and go to hell, it's not that they cease to exist. They do exist. They're separated from God and everything that's good. What, what did he do? He came to those who were separated from God because of their trespasses and sins, and we know why that is, because God is holy. God doesn't sin like we do. You know, he doesn't wink at it and say, well, we all kind of know how that goes, and God says, no, all sin is bad. There's no good sin. He says, wherein, and here's how you know, he's not talking about someone who isn't functioning. He's talking about someone who, because of their sin, is separated from God. Wherein, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our lifestyle, our conversation in time past, in the lust of the flesh. I was driven not by love, I was driven by lust. Selfish love if we want to use today's terms, where I take, I take from someone rather than giving to someone. Jesus came into the world, people that were dead to God. In fact, Romans chapter 5 says, while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, Jesus came. This coming into the world is sounding worse and worse all the time, isn't it? And then in Luke 2, what we've been studying together, Mary is great with child. And nobody could find space for her to come in to have a baby. Reminds us of what we see in the news today, how people, they see someone being hurt. I just recently read of it awful situation in San Francisco where a man was so incredibly mean to a woman and it could have hurt her horribly and no one would stop and help her. People drove by. You see, what went on in Luke 2 goes on today. It's no different. The because the world only takes, it doesn't give. And when God says, when I place my nature in you now, you can love, you can give. And God sent his son into that kind of world. Every one of you as parents know this feeling. You don't like your children to be taken advantage of. I don't care what age they are. Little, elementary school, 
Junior high, high school, college, grad school, married, don't mess with my kids. Please let yourself imagine a love that is so great that you and your child would partner to come into the unimaginable to help people who hate you. You've got to let yourself think for a moment. Don't brush this off as church speak, as common things that you've heard over and over again. Let yourself think about this and understand the kind of love Christ had for us, the kind of love that the Father had for us. It was an altruistic love. It was a selfless love. Notice the word that we find here. Herein is love. This is what love looks like. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That's a huge word, an important word. Propitiation means the full appeasement, the complete payment. His propitiation was our, here's another great big word, atonement. I don't know who first did this, but it sure helped me to understand what atonement meant, what propitiation meant. If you'll spell atonement and put at one meant. Because of Jesus Christ, I am now at one meant with God. Christ, our high priest, was also our sacrifice. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Oh, what love. Oh, what love. And then I want you to notice, then we are the reflectors of Christ's love. Lighthouse Baptist Church, it's not our light, it's God's light. And we're the reflector. He's the one that ought to be visible, and we're the ones who are holding him up high so that people can see him, and they see him through our love. Verse 11, in the same way, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You see, in the same way, this is the way God expects us to love. Who wouldn't want to come here if this is the way they will be loved? Who wouldn't want to come to church if this is the way you're going to be loved? If you can walk in and I accept you and embrace you the way you are, not comfortable to leave you where you are because that would hurt you. You see, I don't judge you. I love you. 
And love brings a person along. But love accepts that person the way they are. Is that making sense? I don't want us to ever think like the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where a man was, was living as a married person with his stepmother and everyone said, oh, we're so glad you came. How'd your week go? Is things going great for you? And the answer is no, it couldn't be going well for them. That's a really awkward situation. It's going to hurt them. It definitely would devastate the family relationships. And Paul had to tell them, no, love him enough to say, stop it. And tough enough to say, if you will not stop this, we're going to withdraw having fun with you. I don't withdraw loving you. I will embrace you when I see you. But I will never ignore what you're doing. Because that hurts you. The Corinthian church made the mistake of then they swung the pendulum the opposite direction. At first they said, we won't say anything about it. And then they said, we don't like you, you dirty scoundrel. You're not coming back to our church again. And the person said, you're right, I'm wrong. I should not have done this. And he repents. And the church says, nah, had your chance. Too late. And Paul had to tell them again, bring him back in. You see, in the middle is love. Love that cares enough to confront and love that cares enough to forgive because God is love. I'm so thankful God doesn't say, oh, you've already used up all your, all your forgivies for today. Right? <laughs> no, used them all up, sorry. In fact, you've already overspent your forgivies and you don't get anything until the end of the week. Who believes that? Hopefully you don't. It's not the way the scriptures talk. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness to me and to you. You see, people see God through us. God is a spirit. People can't see God today. How do we know how much God loves us? Because the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Why would he send his Son to be the Savior of the world? Only one reason, because he loves us. He could have not sent his Son and still been holy. It is when I demonstrate God's love that others can understand him. A dear friend of mine named Alex Bailey used to sing a song when I was in my mid-twenties that I didn't know until I met him. And at this point, he was in his 80s, and he kind of, his voice kind of just kind of wandered around. It, was, it wasn't really even a clean rendition of the song because he, he would be kind of sitting there in his chair and would kind of doze in and out. It was a song that was written in the 20s, which was more contemporary with him. But it's the song entitled, Can Others See Jesus in You? And I used to laugh and kind of giggle at it, and Cindy and I would go home, and we'd get in the car, and we'd kind of laugh. 
He did the same thing every time we were there. He repeated himself often. But the song goes like this, and the more, the older I get, and the more I recognize the doctrine, the more I recognize how important this is. The song goes like this. Christ Jesus has triumphed o'er Satan and death, and now, praise his name, I am free. Although he has gone to his Father's right hand, may others see Jesus in me. And then the chorus is, may others see Jesus in me. May others see Jesus in me. For how will the lost know of Jesus? if they cannot see Jesus in me. The second verse is, Oh, will you give heed to the message tonight and to your commission be true? Are you representing the Savior aright? Can others see Jesus in you? The harvest is plenteous, the fields, they are white. Alas, for the laborers are few. Tis far better not to profess Jesus' name if the world cannot see him in you. And then the chorus is, can others see Jesus in you? Can others see Jesus in you? For how will the lost know of Jesus if they fail? To see Jesus in you. When I was in seminary, one of my teachers always made this statement. Can't really remember anything else he taught, but I remember the statement. And that is this. People do not care what you know until they know that you care. People don't care how many years I've spent in seminary, how many years in studying the Bible. They don't care. But you know what they're touched by? When I care about them. I want you to notice, and we're just going to quickly go through verses 13 through 16. I want you to notice, how do you know you're one of God's children? Verse 13, he tells us we have his spirit. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us his spirit. That is such a wonderful verse for eternal security. How can you lose your salvation when the Holy Spirit is sealed within you? So, if you can lose your salvation, so is the Holy Spirit sealed within you and goes to hell with you? How could hell be hell if God is there? You see, the simple doctrines that John teaches are the mountain, the huge doctrines, and how they impact your life today. You see, I have confidence to go out and to live for Jesus Christ because I don't have to worry about my eternal security. I'm not working to be saved today. And if you've received Christ, no matter how much you think you are, you're not working to keep your salvation today. You are secure in him. Why? He gave you the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. 
we have his spirit. Notice in verse 14, we understand and agree with that Jesus is the savior of the world and was sent from God. You see, that is something that every Christian must confess. You can't confess that you are a believer and disagree that Jesus is the savior of the world and was sent from God. Verse 15, another characteristic of a believer is he's willing to tell others that Jesus is the Christ. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. You know, when you talk with people and you say, well, they don't look like me, how can they be a Christian? Look at what God says the characteristics of Christians are. And then verse 16, I enjoy this one. God and Jesus are the same. They're one. He is God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Christians love and can love because they have been given of God's nature. When Christians love, the world sees the Father. Love and Christianity cannot be separated because love is the very nature of God. Love is not God. You can't flip the statement around and say, well, if you see love, it must be God. No, that's not true, but God is love. You see, not all love is of God or looks like God, but God is always loving. We confuse God's holiness and justice as being in opposition to God's love. God is always loving, and that's why he sent his son to be the savior of the world. Sometimes we say, why does God let all these bad things happen? The only way you can know God is who he said he was is for him to allow you to make choices and for him not to correct your choices, but to allow your choices to stand. If God corrected all your choices, how would you even know what kind of God he was? You wouldn't. <clears throat> you have to ponder on that for a while. The ugliness in the world is not because God didn't come in and fix things for you. The ugliness in the world is because of who Satan is, and God has been true to exactly what he said he would do. God said that sin would separate. And when we sinned, it did separate. And then God demonstrated his love by providing a covering for Adam and Eve, and he promised he would provide a covering for all through the Lamb of God. And he was faithful to his word. And he made sure everyone knew who that one would be. And he made it so clear that you could follow exactly and say only one person that's ever been in this world could be the Messiah. He provided it all. And then he says, whosoever will may come. But you know what that tells us is whosoever won't doesn't have to. 
If you've never received Christ as your Savior, maybe you grew up in church like me, maybe you have always, you've heard these things, you need to understand something. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. And God won't make you be a Christian. He just loves you so much he provided and paid for everything and then just said, come. Because God is love, we ought to love. How will we love each other? You know, there are a lot of people that are just different than us. I'm different than you. We all grow up in different situations. We all have different, can we say, weird traits. Why do we love each other? Just because we click? We love because God is love. Satan has lied to some of us today to think that it's okay to hate believers. You just need to know something. That's not of God. It's never right to hate believers. I don't care what they've done to us. It's never right to hate believers because God says, I command you to love believers. It's just never right. It's never right to trash talk believers. I don't know what you've grown up in. I don't know what you're used to. Just understand, I can't find that kind of Christianity in the scriptures. I've been around it. I'm ashamed to tell you I have done it. I'm still a believer, but I sure didn't. I didn't let people know what my God was really like. Why does he repeat? Because true doctrine always leads us to look like our God. My life ought to be holy. My life ought to be just. My life ought to be righteous. My life ought to be gracious. My life ought to be loving. So how are we going to take this out from here today? If you've never received Christ, you need to receive Christ. But you don't have to. I just tell you, if, if you don't receive Christ, path goes the wrong direction. For us who have received Christ, what's it going to look like when we go out today? What's it going to look like when we see other believers who have hurt us? What's it going to look like we have the opportunity that everyone will know what our God's like when he looks at his kids. Let's bow our heads for prayer.